Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to dominate your career, then you are in the right place. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And Monica Marquez, ex-Googler, diversity expert, and senior corporate leader. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Nikki Barua, your host for today's episode. Everyone faces unique pressures, obstacles, and challenges, but it's really how we show up and overcome them that defines our life. So whether you're a full-time career professional, a business owner, a mom, or simply a woman who wants to enjoy life at a deeper level, it all starts with granting yourself permission. Our guest today is Patty Aubrey, number one New York Times bestselling author, co-founder, and the president of the Canfield Training Group, who built the publishing industry's first billion-dollar brand, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Patty is an internationally recognized leader in personal development and peak performance. As the business strategist behind the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, she has worked side-by-side with Jack Hanfield, helping millions of individuals maximize their potential. For more than 30 years, Patty has been training and coaching entrepreneurs, educators, corporate leaders, and people from across 108 countries and teaching them how to create the life and get the results they desire. Patty's most recent book, Permission Granted, which has already soared to the top of multiple bestseller lists, presents empowering stories of how life changes when you give yourself permission to show up. In this episode, Patty shares her perspective on how women need to and deserve to show up, stand up, and speak up. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Patty and get her book. Hi, Patty. Welcome. This is such a huge honor for me because not only are you a legend, but you're someone who just keeps setting higher and higher benchmarks. So welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Thanks. Thanks. It's good to be here. It's nice to see you. <laughs> Likewise. So first off, congratulations because your new book, Permission Granted, just launched and is already a bestseller in 38 categories, which I didn't even know there were that many categories, but <laughs> congratulations on that. How does it feel? It's interesting. You know, I mean, I've, I've had such a big career in publishing and you know, I published 230 books for the Chicken Soup for the Soul line and had, I don't know, I was counting, I was adding on my Amazon account today as an author, which I've never even done before. It's so weird because I was, I was always looking at the New York Times list, right? right. But when I got the book in the mail, I thought, it's kind of, it just feels right. It feels like it's sort of my third act. Mm-hmm. Struggled my whole life with giving myself permission to be seen. Mm-hmm. And so this sort of solidified it. It was really kind of cool, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Now, this has also been a very personal journey for you, getting yeah. to this point. Um, but let's start first with how you got started. So tell us the story of, you know, the early days, because it reveals so much about you and who you are. Well, how I got started was I really didn't get started. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I wanted to be. You know, I didn't know. I, I just didn't really have any passion or purpose in my life. And I was just really looking for a job that was willing to pay me a certain number of dollars. And so my, my first real, not my first real job, but the first, this last 
31 years of my life being in the world of transformation and making an impact started when I was 24. Mm -hmm. And it was a long time ago. And I answered an ad in the paper in the LA Times that said secretary wanted 25,000 a year. And I thought, I do not want to ever be a secretary. It's like the worst thing ever. I won't ever do it. And my father used to say to me when I was young, you, my, every daughter of mine is going to learn how to type. He was a typist mm. army. And so he made me take typing. And so, and I, so I, I did. And I was working in technology and doing some things, but I wanted to move to LA. And so I just had to look in the paper because that was the only mm -hmm. source of figuring it out. And so when I saw the 25000 I thought, well, I want to make that because at that time that was a good salary. And so I had to get over the hump of just call me whatever you want, just pay me. Mm -hmm. I kind of started there. And so I did this interview and I didn't get the job. I came back three months later. They called me back again and said, maybe you are the right person. I said, well, it's going to cost you 30. So I bumped it up with all my big girl pants on. Completely <laughs> <laughs> full of crap. Like <laughs> 18,000. But, but that's pretty audacious. I mean, you know, you don't have the job, but you bumped up the salary even before you got the job. I did. I did. And so it turns out it was Jack Canfield who has ended up becoming my business partner over the years and was the guy that came up with the idea at Chicken Soup for the Soul. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't there yet when I met him, but that's how the whole thing started. And so um, I spent the next 18 years doing that, publishing and writing Chicken Soup for the Soul books. And it was amazing. I mean, it was, it was great. But it's interesting because I had never set a goal before, Nikki. And I had gone to this little weekend training. And so I thought, okay, I'll set a goal to make 25,000. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it was like in the forefront of my mind. Mm. And I had no idea how I would make it. And I, you know, I teach, don't worry about the how, just get clear on what you want. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't know the how. And so, but when I put it out there, it showed up. And mm -hmm. so ever since I'm like, okay, what else do I want? Right. <laughs> so set the attention, get clear about why you want it. And then, you know, yeah. it'll figure itself out. So, but one of the things in your story that's um, striking is that um, you, you started off by saying that you weren't clear about your purpose and, and you were just looking for a job. And of yeah. course, you had a number in mind. Uh, one of the things we hear a lot from um, the women in our community and our audience is that, uh, you know, a lot of them are early to mid-career uh, in their corporate professions. And they often struggle to have clarity on their path, on their purpose. But what makes it worse is that they're afraid to make the wrong decision. So they get stuck where there's almost inertia because you don't want to go left, you don't want to go right, so you're just stuck in the same place. Mm -hmm. Your story illustrates that you just made a decision and moved forward. So what advice or how, how would you guide someone who's kind of stuck at that crossroads and afraid to make the wrong decision? Well, I would start by saying by not making a decision is probably the biggest wrong decision you could ever make. Mm. You know, people have this thing of, I don't want to fail. And I believe that the only failure is by not taking some sort of action right. you know, because we actions are, we can be flexible. I mean, if we make mm -hmm. a mistake, we can fix it or we can redirect or pivot like we're all doing right now because of COVID. Right. Right. But by just waiting and being stuck in our stories of if I do that, it doesn't work. Then I lost this job and I won't have anything. My question is, what do you really want to do with your life? Mm -hmm. and, and when you can figure out what you love to do, what you do naturally, you know, so mm -hmm. often people are like, I don't know my purpose. I don't know my purpose, but we overthink that. Right. So it's like, when do you find yourself just losing track of time? 
Mm-hmm. When do you find yourself not caring if you're making money or not making money? When do you just feel like you're in the zone? You know, right. for me, it's networking, it's connecting people, it's referring, it's, you know, it's, it's now it's really about, you know, helping other women believe it's possible because we are our own worst enemies. And so if you can figure out what you do really well, yeah. and you can then figure out how to monetize it, then you're into that second or third act that's scalable. Right. So in that mid core career, if you just take another job, mm-hmm. it gets old fast. Because or, or not even, or being stuck in the wrong job and not, or wrong role and yeah. not doing anything to change it. Uh, you know, here's a, a, a scenario I came across that was so striking to me. It was someone who shared that, you know, I have this opportunity, but I'm afraid to commit because if I, if it turns out to be wrong, I would have wasted six months or 12 months stuck in this job. Meanwhile, they've been miserable for three years in the wrong job. You know, it's that yeah. fear of making mistakes and losing time prevents you from simply just going forward because what's the worst that's going to happen? You have the opportunity to pivot. Totally. And my friend Lisa Nichols says, just remember fear and worry are not a spiritual practice. <laughs> I love you that. Know? And so we so often like focus on what we don't want. And yeah. the is it, it really is energy. It's quantum physics. It's real. And if you can just know, like, if, if you stay on the side of the power of focusing on what you do want and then mm-hmm. asking yourself the question, well, if I could have it, what would it look like? And, you know, I know one of the things for me is if I'm going into a new venture, right now I'm building out this permission granted program on lots of levels. And I'm looking at, all right, what do I do really well? I network well. I have a huge list of people that are in my camp of women who want to make a difference. Um, my technical skills are in the toilet. So I have somebody sitting across from me that is a little brainiac with all of that. Product development, I don't wanna sit around and develop product all day. And so I have, so I look at like, what are my weaknesses and I bring those mm-hmm. on to help me feel more confident mm-hmm. to do it. But it's, right. it's still a tough thing. It's just, it's something that you have, you're, you're so right though. You can live in that three or four or five year thing or you can go for it. And here's the deal. What if it does work? Right. You love it. I mean, when I, when I took the job with Jack 31 years ago, I had an opportunity to go work in finance at my best friend at the time, her car dealership and in finance. And I would make about a hundred thousand a year. And if I really kicked it, I could do a couple hundred mm-hmm. at 24. That was the revenue back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. But intuitively something said, go down this weird, woo-woo, strange path that that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And I trusted it. And I'm so grateful I did because I I mean, I'm I'm a completely different person. Mm -hmm. I've got to travel around the world. I've met so many people. It's a much more healthy environment. Everything is better Mm -hmm. about it. And so I think the older we get, the more when we really dig in deep, if we sit with ourselves and meditation or whatever it is, and really ask, like, if I was totally honest with myself, letting all of my fears have, be there, offer them some cake, mm-hmm. set inside in the other room, whatever. But just knowing if I really said what it is I want, what is it? Mm. And, and, then, and then follow it. Because I think if we really, if, it's like permission granted. When that mm-hmm. book, like you said earlier, when I got it, I, I know now, I, I've been waffling for two years. Am I on mm-hmm. the right path? The minute I saw it, I'm like, I know I'm on the right path. Women need mm-hmm to give themselves permission to mm-hmm. live their passion, their purpose, their vision, be in alignment with their, their truth 
and whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So it's going inside and, and taking the risk, but you know, the bigger risk is staying and, and having somebody else come in and run the show and suddenly you're out mm-hmm. of a job. I mean, if, you, if you focus on all the bad things that could happen with where you're comfortable, mm-hmm. that might scare you enough to <laughs> right. and get you yeah. going in the other direction, right? right? It's just reframe on lots of levels. It's just uh, sometimes it helps to believe that the universe is rigged in your favor. <laughs> just be able I, to move I forward. believe it totally is. And I think yeah. when we don't honor our, our passion, we don't mm-hmm. honor our truth, I think, it make, I think that's why the universe makes it hard. I really do. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, that's, that's fundamentally what flow is about. When you know you're in the zone, it just, everything feels effortless and joyful. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, you shared how you got started from that ad in the newspaper and, you know, um, connecting with Jack and starting off that career, taking on a secretary job, even though that's not what you wanted, um, but you trusted your instincts. Mm-hmm. Fast forward 30 years, you've got just, absolutely, you know, insane achievements that most people can't even dream about. And, you know, so many books, so much huge success, you know, leading the organization and all of that. What is the one thing that you wish you knew back then? I wish I knew my value back then. Mm. You know, what, what I, when I, when Jack, came to the office one day and said, Hey, let, I have this idea. Let's put a book together of stories. And I said, okay, great. Nobody else wanted to do it. And I was young enough not to have an opinion. Thank God. <laughs> and so we started it. And then along came our co-author, Mark Victor Hansen, who was on every book. And so the first several books he was working on, but I was, I was pretty much running the show. I was the president of Chicken Super Soul Enterprises. And I was, I asked for 1% of the overall royalties and I had my own books, of course, but I literally was the person mm-hmm. running the show. And mm-hmm. so I, I should have asked for 10 or 20 or 30. I should have had an equal share, but I was so young and I didn't have the mentors I needed or the coaching mm-hmm. I needed to really ask for what I was worth. So mm-hmm. I think really understanding your value and going for it. And because if you don't, over time you regret it, you get resentful. I would get passive aggressive. And you know, thank God I had the, chutzpah to say, can I write books? And, you know, I, I started sending in my own proposals to the, my own company mm-hmm. and they said, sure, go ahead. And so I got to pick the titles I wanted, mm-hmm. but you know what, in my mind, honestly, it was because of my sister. Mm-hmm. She came to me and said, Hey, you know, mom's been diagnosed with cancer. Why don't we do chicken soup for the surviving soul? And my mindset being that woman always wanting to serve and please said, well, why should they give us a book when we already get a salary? And she said, well, why should the stranger that walked in last week with a proposal get a book and not you? You've been working on this thing for almost a decade. Mm. And so I went in timid and scared. And I made the proposal and they said, sure, yeah, no problem. But I was already taking myself out of the equation before the game started. Mm. And I think a lot of women do that. And, and, and I think when even when we talk ourselves into trying to get in the game, mm-hmm. we have to go in with clarity and confidence that right. we really truly belong there. It's kind of like if you're around a horse and you're scared, the horse is going to kick you. Yeah. Right? right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, and yeah, seriously. But what you described is, is something that 
so many women struggle with, whether it's looking at, um, you know, a job opportunity on LinkedIn and saying, my gosh, that is exactly the role I want with the company I want to work for, but mm, I don't really have all the qualifications and you're not giving yourself permission. Yeah. to even apply. Or you're at the interview, you're the best qualified candidate, but you're not asking for the compensation you deserve. Or you get the job and you think you're ready for a promotion and you're still not asking for it. So, you know, so much of, you know, what you teach and your message and permission granted is so relevant to every woman out there where we just haven't given ourselves that permission or believed in what is possible for us. It's true. And, and, we, and honestly, you can't wait for somebody else. I mean, I think as women, we're much more collaborative. And so mm -hmm. we cheer our friends on, like, you are good enough. You're worth yeah. this. We're the ones pushing each other, right? Right. I mean, you have been in the same room. That's <laughs> what we do. But a lot of men don't do that. Mm -hmm. and, and so one of the things that I fell into the trap of was waiting for some of the men in my life to show up and say, hey, you should be on stage more or you should start building your brand more mm. or the things that I would coach someone to do. Right. And, and so when, and, and it didn't happen and I kept waiting. And so as I was waiting, the stories I started to tell myself were, I must not be good enough. They're not inviting me on mm. their stage. Um, they don't respect me. Uh, I'm not worthy. I didn't go to Harvard, yada, mm. yada, yada. And so mm. it just would go on and on and that would keep me stuck. And so when I finally said, you know, I really want to co-facilitate this big training, or I really want to, I, and I, I started to get really passive aggressive because I was finding myself wanting the men in my business to be able to be, read my mind. Mm. And I think as women, we kind of are mind readers. And so we assume that we're going to have a clue, right? <laughs> right. They don't. And so <laughs> at one point I just got really pissed off and I said, I'm just going to give my, myself permission to be high maintenance. I'm going to ask for everything I want. And I remember I was driving with Jack and he said, well, it's about time. He said, you know, I'm not a mind reader. Like, get clear about what it is, ask for it. And then if I can, de if I can deliver, I will. But geez, if you find a mind reader out there, send him my way, I'll study him <laughs> from head to toe, you know? And, 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 so, and he, so he kind of approved of that. And yet I still held back. It was, I was mm -hmm. embarrassed. I felt, man, it's like this weird, you know, feeling of just embarrassment and mm -hmm. almost shame of, not being enough or whatever it was. And Where do you think that comes from, that um, the shame or sometimes worrying about being entitled or greedy when it's the exact opposite? <laughs> it totally is the exact opposite. I think it's because we've never known it to be reframed to that. Mm. You know, I was listening to Seth Godin. I don't know if you know Seth Godin. Mm -hmm. Yes. And he's like, you have to give yourself permission to, to feel entitled Mm. to feel deserving, to feel like whatever you want to feel. He said, mm -hmm. it, 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 it's not selfish, you know, right. and, he said, and just give yourself permission to have imposter syndrome because if you don't have right. it, you're a sociopath. <laughs> yes. you know? And so it's like, okay, if I'm feeling everybody else does too on some level, yeah. maybe some hide it better than others, but just having the awareness going, oh yeah, that's here, but yeah. I have to live in that space. I can still step through the fire and get to the other side kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, it, and then it's like, and then it's just called take the risk. You're not, your guts will not be on the wall. No one's ever exploded taking a risk, survive the risk and celebrate the success and then do it mm -hmm. again and again and again 
and again and again until one day you wake up and go, huh, that's not so hard. Mm-hmm. But, and, and, I, and I would say, I, I would go do something scary and then kind of retreat and be like, oh, okay, I'm not doing that again for a year. You know, and yeah. then, but it's like repetition is the key, whether it's yeah. asking or taking the action or showing up in an uncomfortable place. Like, I say yes to a lot of things that I know I need to say yes to in my industry, but I don't really want to say yes to because I will be nervous or I will be scared. Mm. I know if I'm scaring myself enough that I'm growing. Right. So I have to reframe that as like, if I'm comfortable, I'm slacking at this point. Mm -hmm. And we're not getting any younger and the message needs to get out there. And as you know, I promised my mom on her deathbed that I would. Yeah, tell us that story, actually. How, tell us how, um, you know, the idea of permission granted emerged and what you mentioned you struggled with it for two years. And Oh, gosh, yeah, at least it was <laughs> my whole life, 55. <laughs> and I still do, you know. Um, but my mom was diagnosed with cancer and then she went into remission. And about 20 years later, she was re-diagnosed and it went into her, her brain and she was dying. And on her deathbed, she said, promise me you will not hide behind that man. You two built this billion-dollar brand together. You did as much as he did. He brought certain skill sets. You brought certain skill sets. But I didn't raise a daughter to be invisible, so promise me. Mm. Okay, I promise. And so from there, I could have said, yeah, I know I promised. Maybe later. But instead, like right after I booked my first retreat for women, and then I booked my second thing, and then I started doing other things. But and I did it, you know, sometimes I say to my clients, if you can't do it for you, do it for somebody you love. Mm. Whatever it takes, I don't care. Right. And so if I think of my children, do I want them to understand what it looks like to take the action, to be bold, to live your purpose, to live your vision, you know, to mm-hmm. not hide and, and be happy. And, right. and so I either stick my kids in that visual or my mom. Mm-hmm. And, or I call someone and say, look, I'm really nervous to do this, but I know I should mm-hmm. kick me in the butt and make sure I do it. You know, by sharing your vision and your goals, it, it creates accountability too. Right. But it's always a reframe always. And there's always something that happens where, yeah. you know, we can all go back into that place of oh, I'm not good enough or that client wasn't perfectly happy or maybe I could have done better. Yeah. So what? Mm-hmm. At least, at least we're in action. So for our audience, there's something I want to call out in what you just shared, because often they tend to think that, you know what, I haven't actually accomplished so much. So of course, how can I possibly think I'm all that? I'm still early in my career. You know, I am living paycheck to paycheck or still trying to rise up. I don't have big accolades. I don't have a personal brand. I haven't written a book. How could I think that much about myself? But here you're sharing something as, you know, president of Chicken Soup for the Soul, you know, 30 years of experience, all these successful books. I mean, so, I mean, a global brand, a billion dollar brand, and you still had similar feelings. Yeah, yeah. So something to take away is that it doesn't matter where you're at. One, you know, imposter syndrome or those fears and limiting beliefs are more common than we think. And two, really shouldn't hold any of us back from taking action. So specifically for you, what was the biggest thing at this stage that, uh, you know, pre-book launch that was your personal struggle? 
because you had so much evidence of success, right? I mean, yeah, I think my personal struggle goes back to still having part of that codependency. You know, I'm still mm-hmm. the president of the Camfield training group. Right. And so I have some commitments there. And so for me, in my head, I was, I was buying into a story that um, kind of, I mean, it, it's interesting that maybe there's not enough. Oh, the two competitive brands when they're not competitive. And when I live in the space of there's enough of everything for everyone. Right. And I need to share my message because if it's this ingrained and running through my veins, someone in the world needs to hear it. Mm-hmm. And what if I can save someone's life or create something better for them? Right. And, and so I, that has been a struggle over the last year and a half. And I don't think I really was totally crystal clear until that book landed in my hand. And I've been teaching this program for two years. But I have this other side where I'm a partner in something mm. and, and my business partner there is like, well, I don't know. You know, it's like there's a little fear there too for him about me going off and doing something different. And I am going to do something different and, and, and I'm going to do it gracefully. And, you know, and a lot of people probably will meet me and want to go there and I'll yeah. still do some things there. But I had to get out of the story of I could only have it one way. One way. And we do that. I can only have a job or I can stay home and be a mom. I can only do this or I can do that. And my thing is, if you can have it all, as long as you get clarity on what it looks like and you can lay it out and enroll people in the vision, you won't have the issues that you have if you're just stuck in your head. Right. And so it is constantly asking yourself if it was possible and not, like for me, I don't look back. I don't look at what someone else is doing. I really just have to be so brutally honest with me like, what could it look like for me? Because if I don't do it for me, if I'm not honest mm-hmm. and I settle, it will come back and haunt me. Mm-hmm. And, and you, know, it's, you know, those moments like, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Right. I knew I should have spoken up. My husband calls it the Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> so it's better to just get it out now and open up that space for new things to come in mm. and to be holding on. It's like holding on to a big shopping cart of stuff. Mm-hmm. Nobody can get close to you if there's a big grocery cart in front of you. So, you know, I mean, it kind of feels that way. Right. Um, and it's, 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 it's daily. It's so liberating when you just shed that baggage and let go of all of the stories in your head, right? So, mm-hmm. um, no, you, over the course of the 30 years and building this billion dollar brand and this in tremendously successful career, um, you, exp- you know, uh, your example is so instructive to women in the workplace because a lot of women, you know, struggle with how they're perceived in partnerships where perhaps, you know, their, their contribution and the impact is equal to their male colleague, but they are sort of behind the scenes, you know, they're the ones um, that are less visible, maybe get less credit. They also, um, on the other hand, when sometimes they try hard to take that credit, they're perceived as having sharp elbows or having too much ambition and all of that. Tell, uh, share a little bit about your journey with Jack and like, um, how would you advise someone who's struggling to stand up and stand out in a similar kind of equal partnership? Gosh, I mean, I know, you know, I was behind the scenes, I was running the business the whole time. And so when I would go to things, people would say like, oh, we didn't even know you existed. I mean, even to this day, I'll run, I'll, I teach for somebody 
where Jack teaches also. And people come in and say, oh, we didn't even know who you were. We didn't even know you existed. Two guys that I teach with, he did, the guy that contracts for us doesn't market me, markets Jack. Mm. 80% of the audience is women. Wow. It's a joke on lots of levels. And, and so what I, what I would say is get used to, do whatever you have to do. I don't care if it's meditate, exercise, see a therapist, I don't care. But get to a place where you can hold it without, hold it neutrally, mm. without any kind of resentment. So then you can not have, like, the fact is, here's the facts. And I might, and, and it, I'm creating a story around those facts. So my, my story can be, oh, they think they're better than me or whatever it is. Or my story can be, you know, they're kind of, they just don't get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, it's not about me, I guess is what I'm saying. And so be bold, step into that greatness, do it slowly if you need to, be mindful of other people. You know, for me, I'm, I'm really mindful. Even yesterday, I did a podcast with Jack in the morning. And I was very mindful that I know he's nervous that this is going to be a big topic because it is a big topic. I mean, I know mm-hmm. it is. And people have been responding for years. And, but I also, I, I'm very mindful about including him in certain mm-hmm. ways. But I'm making the decision to include right. him. And, and so I'm in control. Like events happen. We have choices all day long. So if you get into a board meeting and, and there's a man speaking to another man that's lower than you on the totem pole, we have a choice on how we respond to that, right. the stories that we make up in our head about that. And whichever we choose is going to create one or the other sort of an outcome. One will be more serving towards us and one might make us look like we're bitchy or we're you know, too intense or whatever it is. So um, sometimes it's, it's just, I call it like, I say they're lab rats and I have this big lab and I have a science project. And as long as I know that I'm being mindful and I'm in, I'm making choices and I'm observing because I'm not so attached mm-hmm. that I can't stay clear, then I can watch how things go. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that's, that's what I would say. I think it's more about having the clarity and creating, because like, when we're really clear, we have more confidence. Right. So when you can go in with that confidence and then, you know, I, I've often pulled different people aside to say, Hey, that didn't go well. And here's what can't ever happen again, but also being honest and transparent about it after, but not when right. I'm about to lose it. And right. I, I think that part is key, right? Because um, not handling the conversation, not having the difficult conversation because it's uncomfortable and we feel like we might come across overly entitled and ungrateful Mm -hmm. uh, or demanding. So we avoid the conversation until the passive aggressiveness builds up and then you implode. And I've certainly been guilty of that where I've been really deeply resentful of, you know, senior executives that uh, paid more attention to a junior male colleague and instead of addressing it to either party, I just stayed quiet about it and it got even bigger in my head until I imploded. So yeah. it just is not a healthy way to do it. Right. It, it'll make you sick. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a big deal too. crucial conversations. Right. And you know, maybe it doesn't have to happen in that moment because it's sort of like you're really in it and you're in their story but to come back with clarity and say, you know, I want to talk to you about this particular incident mm-hmm. and this is what happened and what my request is, not even how I felt. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you can't really make anybody else feel a certain way if they're really on their game. 
supposedly, I mean, I still kind of believe you can, but a man would say that, I can't make you feel anyway. You can only make yourself feel that way. Self-help 101. Not so true. I mean, you know, but, but at the same time, to state the facts and then create a request on the facts. But, but never say always, never say never. So there's certain universal words that will fall on deaf ears and you'll lose credibility. Mm-hmm. And so it's learning how to do it and doing it in a way that you're going to get the result you want. Mm. Yeah. And it's, look, I, I mean, every day it's a challenge, right? I mean, it, it, and you teach people how to treat you. And so the longer you, you tolerate is how they you know, believe that you're willing to live with. And they might not know. I mean, I'm sure if they did the same thing to their wife at home, they're mm-hmm. not going to get the same, like, that's nice comment. <laughs> they're going to get something different. So <laughs> I, I say, like, give yourself permission to be high maintenance mm-hmm. you oh. know, on one level until it doesn't feel that way anymore. And then mm-hmm. your view of what high maintenance look like might just be equality. Mm. That's beautiful. So one of the things that really stands out about you uh, personally for me is that you have this incredibly unique presence that I find both powerful and vulnerable and very, very authentic all at the same time, which is, and and knowing you, you are truly who you show up as. There's no sort of multiple versions of you. Um, Developing that kind of distinct presence that's authentic and speaking your truth, but also um, a persona that, you know, uh, appeals to a lot of people that operate in the corporate world, for example, are afraid to reveal themselves outside of the proper corporate persona. How can someone sort of show up authentically, but also not be, seem like a hot mess at work? You know what I mean? They're afraid to show their emotions or speak truthfully. And and it's the minute you get vulnerable, emotional, you get powerless, you show up powerlessly. So yeah, I think for me, it's, like being authentic is so important. It, it, for me, if I'm trying to be somebody else during the day that I am at night, it's just not scalable. <laughs> be judged anyway. Yeah. So just be judged for who you are. But by being authentic and transparent and vulnerable, I'm also um, compassionate and I'm a good listener. And I'm not making up a story as they're talking back. And I'm looking at how to serve that person. Mm-hmm. And so when you're coming from the right place, it, it lands and it, yeah. it takes a while. And, and some people have deeper wounds than other. And if I go there, I'll get screwed and, you know, I'll get stuck on. But if you show up first, really authentic and vulnerable, not a hot mess. Like if I'm going to be that vulnerable, I got to go home first and deal with my stuff. Unless right. it's just me and one other person in a room and they're not going to, you know, right. beat it or say something. You know, it's got to get my stuff together. But if you do that first, then you give that, person permission to do the same. And so I don't look at this as being less than or lower. I look at them as being way above. I am so much further. I'm so much more evolved and conscious mm-hmm. that I can show up in this caring, vulnerable, loving, clear, honest way that that's a sign of strength, not a weakness. A right. I'm giving you a chance to do the same. Mm-hmm. And if you do great, magic happens. And if you don't, then I get to decide if I want to play in that sandbox, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's, it's, it's hard. I, I have a couple of friends who they struggle so much with it and I'm like their emotional coach. Come on, just go there. <laughs> it's, it's, it, you know, when you grow up in a man's world and you're in corporate and you have all those things, I mean, it's, 
it's very difficult, but you know, women can be very subtly powerful too. Mm. You just have to know that you're in the game. Right. And, you know, this is even more important in certain moments, such as receiving feedback, for example. Um, uh, I think I recall hearing you call feedback as the F word. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, um, but in those moments, feedback is so key to growth um, Mm -hmm. and self-awareness. But if we don't respond well to feedback or we resist feedback, we're preventing our own growth, but maintaining your composure and how you receive it is key. So how uh, you've obviously done very, you seek out feedback. You're such a, you know, sort of lifelong learner. What's the right mindset to have for feedback? Well, it, you know, it just, I guess it depends. Um, we did a, I did a big team building exercise with my team and hired this gal to come in and do leadership and values and things like that. And after six and a half hours of feedback, so we are all broken into groups and I had one group and my partner had another. And I came out six and a half hours later. She said, in all of the organizations I've ever worked with, I've never had a leader sit in a room and receive feedback for six and a half hours. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I want people to be heard. And so I, I look at it as it's just feedback. You know, it, it's, it, data. I, it, it's just data. Yeah. It, that's all it is. And I can run it through my own system or not. Um, I think data is really relevant. You know, if you hear things enough, then you have to consider that you need to make a change. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's coming out of left field, you can examine it, but you don't have to let it spin you out. Mm. That's where I think the feedback piece gets, gets poorly handled when you take one thing and you let it start to run you. Right. And, and it, it's like Byron Katie 101, how do you know that to be true? And so it's really practicing that. I think it's really important for women to practice mindset, to take programs, to listen to podcasts, because it's a daily thing. It's not, you don't learn transformation and self-help and personal growth once. It is mm-hmm. an, it's like food. You have yeah. to do it over and over again. Or, you're, or you, you know, the only thing that will get in your way is your own self mm-hmm. and, and that other voice in your head, and it will derail you. So... It's, it's kind of like if you're a major meditator, you've been doing it a long time, you do it very often. It's like a fitness regimen, right? You don't get fit working out once. <laughs> I know. I wish you did, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. That would help. That would be so awesome. It would be amazing. Yeah, no, that's not the way it works, unfortunately. <laughs> so um, uh, you've described yourself as a visionary who lives in the future. And I can relate. That's my personality as well. What has helped you execute on your vision and go from dreaming to doing? Well, I had to learn that one. The hard <laughs> Well, especially because vision is great, but execution is everything, right? Yeah. Success comes from execution. And it's, um, it's a tough thing to make happen as a visionary. It is. It is. So I think first as a visionary or what we would call a disruptor today, right? Right. Person that was diagnosed with ADD in third grade, who now happens to be brilliant. <laughs> like, give yourself credit for that. Be that. Be the disruptor. Know that it's you that are willing to live on the edge, live in ambiguity, not know exactly what it looks like. But also appreciate the other people around you. So, my, I, I swear one of my books will be appreciating the differences. Mm. Because what I learned was I would have this big idea and I'd go running in and let's do. X, Y, and Z. And Jack, I think he thought I was Charlie Brown's teacher, like, wah, wah. I mean, he would just have a convulsive reaction. 
And what I realized over time was, he said, you know, sometimes your brain works so fast, just give me time to catch up. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, and if you could present it in a way that I can hear it, it would be even better. Mm-hmm. Like, huh. You mean I'm not stupid? You don't, because I would say, oh, he must think I'm stupid. He doesn't trust me. I just run through all my rant of like some right. old married crab, right? And so he said, no, I just, I, I want to know, like, I, I kind of need to know the how a little bit. And so now I, I, if I'm presenting anything to anybody, I first look at what's their love language at work, mm. you know, and, and how do I, how do I have a conversation? And I have different people in my organization that I talk to differently. Some mm. need to know every single detail. I give it to them. Others, they can just go on the fly with, you got an idea? It's going to work. Give me the headline. I'm good. <laughs> exactly. Where's the quick start guide? Right. <laughs> so acknowledging who those people are mm-hmm. and then delivering it in a way that works and making them feel safe enough to be mm-hmm. able to have an opinion or to give feedback or do whatever it is. And if you can, if you can do that, then you can enroll anybody in anything. That Being that enroller is so huge mm-hmm. as a visionary. And then it's also looking at, okay, what parts of this am I going to screw up mm. if I try to do it by myself? That requires honesty, though. It does. You have to confront your parts of you that don't know something. But the good news is we don't have to get an A in every subject because we're not in school anymore. Right. And so what I look at is, all right, who do I know that I trust that's either on my team or not on my team yet that will be really good in these different roles? Mm-hmm. And really unpack that and then bring them in. So my whole thing is, if I don't know it, who do I know? Who do I know? Who do I know? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my mantra. And I've learned over the years that I have to do that. And, you know, some people could say, well, I want to go into this next act, mm-hmm. but I don't have the money. Then barter. For me, I've brought in people and said, you know what, I don't, I don't have the budget in this division, but I have this idea. I think we can create something really huge. and I'd be happy to give you a percentage of whatever we build. Mm-hmm. And so they have skin in the game. And then it's all about enrolling, really. Right. So that's, that's what I've had to learn. Building a movement. Yeah, and I've learned it the hard way. Oh, my gosh. Tell, tell me some story from that that was particularly instructive. Well, I think probably my biggest lesson in the last 10 years was, you know, I was in Dubai, and I, I was sitting in a class, and I, Jack was teaching this class. It was for about 3,000 people. And I said, oh, my God, God, why am I here today? I am so over this man and this conversation. I just want to, like, go yeah. shopping at the best mall in the world. <laughs> and I heard, be a student. I'm like, what? I never hear anything when I talk to anybody, including yeah. myself. And so I just became a student, and, um, and I had this huge download that I needed to create more programs that were online that could reach the masses around the world. And, and so as I started to share, because I started to share as I was over in the Middle East, I kept hearing feedback. Is it a certification? Is it a certification? Is it a cert? And I finally went, yeah, it's certification. I didn't know what it was. I hadn't, I just came up with it. But mm-hmm. that feedback was saying, obviously it's important, especially in Europe or the Middle East it, for it to be that. And so I, I came back and I was so excited and everybody on my team said, you're absolutely nuts. It will never, ever work. And I got pissed off, resentful. I took all my toys home. I had all my big screens on my kitchen table. And I set out to create a program over the next two years that turned out to be an amazing winner. But I was angry the entire time. And I didn't, and, and I didn't have the support from my team because I wasn't enrolling them in the bigger vision and what it could look like. And 
you know, and at one point Jack said, look, the fact is you just scare the shit out of people. <laughs> and, and, and so I had to start to reframe who I was and that I had to reframe the brilliant pieces of me and then take on the other pieces that weren't so brilliant mm-hmm. and integrate them into a way that would work. And so because it was like shock therapy for those two years, I decided to really dig in to figure out like why I wasn't getting the buy-in in the beginning and mm. how, how I didn't, I had to take hundred percent responsibility. Mm. How did I not make it safe enough? How did I not make it so clear that everybody would see what I saw? And it was hard because you want to be sometimes being right and pissed is fun. Right. <laughs> well, also as a visionary, when you live way out in the future, it's sometimes hard to bring other people along that far ahead and yeah. not connect the dots between today and that distant, um, you know, North Star. It is. And so if you can find those few trusted individuals, mm-hmm. like I did do, my COO was like that. And, I said, and when I say I have an idea, he, he's interested. Mm-hmm. And he's very linear. He's very logical. He's very, let's chunk this down step by step. And he did help me along the way. And, and, but it was still tough because I really wanted everybody to believe in it. And, um, and thank God we have it. I could have given up, but I didn't. And if I had, our business would be in big trouble with COVID. Right. So because we have these online programs where I was willing to disrupt and mm-hmm. willing to sit in that, um, which is part of that role, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, exactly. It works. But it also takes um, a village, really, surrounding yourself with the smartest people, you know, building powerful partnerships and, you know, constantly learning and growing together. Um, But that's also an area where a lot of people struggle again, that, you know, not giving themselves permission, if you will, to approach someone and say, hey, I have this idea or I have this skill and I'm missing this thing, would you partner with me or can we collaborate and do something? Um, what are some actionable things that people can do in terms of one, gaining proximity to powerful and influential leaders, but two, also sort of you know, bringing other people along? I would say network and, and be more interested than interesting. Mm. I think a lot of people go out and they're really not in their bodies and they put on this big show of who they want to be perceived as mm. instead of, wow, who's out there that I want to really, I want to attract into my life. You know, who's making a difference coming from service, doing whatever it is. Um, that's always been something, I don't know if it's just like a skill set that I have, mm-hmm. but I've always kind of been in that role. Um, my partner was much more of an introvert and I'm just much more extroverted. So it's, it's getting out there and not waiting for someone to show up at your doorstep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe I don't know Oprah, but I know Ayala Vincent. So maybe Ayala could introduce me. And it's about being able to ask and ask for those introductions and, and be bold in a way. And, and also, I always say, like, I try to look at it whenever I'm trying to find someone or if I'm, I have my eye on something I think will be a good venture. I look at it from how can I be part of their agenda? Mm. How will this be of service to them? Instead of, I have this idea and I want you to come in because as we both know, when we have big corporate jobs or running a big, you know, brand or whatever it is, and people come at you with all these things and they have their own agenda and you feel that agenda. And you feel used. Yeah, you feel (laughs) used. You feel irritated because you're already like, but if you have a clear plan, Mm -hmm. it's going to be no. Like, I'm not saying, hey, Nikki, 
you know, um, I'm going to meet you and I'm going to go to New York on the way to Texas. Like, it's not going to happen. It's mm-hmm. out of the way. And so if you know where you're going and you want to get from A to B, you have that clarity. And so when those people come in, it's either, wow, that's, that's going to be an asset or it's going to be a liability. Mm. And I think the same thing is true when we go out to others. And I've made those mistakes. I remember one time I was doing a proposal for this pharmaceutical company and, and my, the guy I was with was like, we're going to make you number one in pharma for prostate cancer. Like we are number one. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody didn't do their homework, you know? <laughs> so do your homework. And, and I, I think just coming from that place of service, how is it a win-win for everyone? Always seems to generate more cool things mm. than, than not. And, you know, maybe it's like time to, join a BNI or a networking, you know, like right. BNI, the founder of that lives in Texas, Ivan Meisner. Mm-hmm. And he was saying the other day he's on a board with me that they have already done like $4 billion in referrals this year. Wow. Because when the going gets tough, you go to the referral. Right. And it's like, I'll ask you, who do you know about X, Y, and Z before just picking some stranger on the corner? It could be an right. expert or whatever, who knows? So right. get your, put yourself out there and get used to it. And if you, if you hate that part, then you have to align with someone that doesn't. Mm. That's, that's interesting because it's, um, if you're an introvert who's not comfortable networking, but you've got tremendous value to provide in something else, then it's just time to partner, right? So um, you, uh, your book, Getting Back to Permission Granted, um, you know, one of the things that really resonates in that is just the powerful stories that you're sharing. And again, it's an example of collaborations with other people where the collective impact is even greater. Um, um, I, I love the chapter titles, by the way, they really resonate. Uh, but tell me a little bit about how those collaborations came about uh, and what the journey was like in the process of creating this beautiful book. Well, as you know, whenever anybody decides to t- embark on a book, it's the Prozac experience. <laughs> One minute, it's the most fabulous idea on the planet. The next minute, it's like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Um, and then and, and when you bring together a book of other contributors, you get to bring all their stuff too. And because it's such a vulnerable thing to tell your story, all your crap shows up, you know, and I'm not enough. And who am I to think that I can do this? But for me, it was really about giving women permission to start somewhere. A -hmm. lot of people, like 85% of people want to write a book, Mm -hmm. but to start with a chapter and then go through the side of marketing and having their voice and getting their talk down and their story around their story and how to present it Mm -hmm. is is a nice sort of middle ground for them to get used to it and not just go from zero to a hundred, you know, really kind of take it slow. So that was part of, um, a couple of years ago, I was putting together a year-long group. And so one of the pieces was for those of you that want to write a book, hmm. we would collaborate and literally walk them through the process step-by-step step and cheer them on because we need cheerleaders and we're so good at cheerleading everybody else except for ourselves. Yeah. And so it was really, it was a fun process. They were so excited yesterday and it was, it was amazing. And we also had five or four of my other friends that are all big New York Times authors that supported them as well, which was really a huge deal mm-hmm. for them to be that gracious to be part of the book. And um, so that made them very proud about that too. So it was, it was fun to see them grow. I mean, they grew a lot. And there was 
good moments, ugly moments, scary moments. You know, it's, and it, even you can see it in, in their faces. I mean, they look five years younger at the end of the process. It's amazing. <laughs> Just letting go of the beliefs of I can't do this. I'm stupid. Yeah. I'm not enough. Who am I? La, 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 la. You know? Yeah. So it's, it's really it's, fun. It's so scary before you do it. And so much relief after it's done, where you're usually our reaction is, why did I wait this long for it? <laughs> well, that's, that is the number one thing that everybody says whenever I do any interviews with what's one thing you could have done differently. I wouldn't have waited as long to show up. I wouldn't have waited mm-hmm. as long to get divorced. I wouldn't have waited as long to leave that company. I wouldn't have waited that long to get my boobs reduced. I mean, it's yeah. everything, you know? Yeah. I mean, it really is. So. Yeah. If you could just remember that you're not alone, right? We all go through the same stuff. Then you can ask for the support that you need to get through it because we all need that. And so much of what you're focusing on now really addresses that challenge for women. So uh, give us a peek into, you know, Patty's future vision. You know, from where you stand right this moment, what does that future look like in your hopes and dreams and aspirations? Because we know you'll execute, so it's going to come true. So tell us <laughs> that <it looks> like. <laughs> I really want to see millions of women in this movement where they're coming together, whether it's through a certification or it's coaching. Um, I mean, there's so many people that are in that transitionary phase of mm-hmm. my kids are gone now they're at college or right. my husband died or I got divorced or I, I'm, I'm retiring from this job and what do I have left or I'm coming back into the workforce and what do I know? And, and really reinforcing that, you know, if you were the CEO of your household, right. you still have the qualifications. You had to organize, you had to schedule, you had to show up, you had to make sure no one got hurt. I mean, you know, just be that that mindset piece of believe it's possible and really get more women to show up for more women to show up for more women because mm-hmm. we need to have those role models. I didn't have that when I was younger. My mom was a rock yeah. star, but she was a stay-at-home mom who could, you know, master anything on her own because she was pretty much alone a lot. Um, so it's it's really just it's the it's the believe it's possible because if we can believe it then we will see it. But if we're waiting to see it, to believe it, we're screwed. Right. Because you'll be waiting a long time instead of taking action and just trusting that it'll come together. Yeah. It's like burn the boats, ladies. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And trust that you can fly. (laughs) And and you'll get, if you, as long as you follow it, as long as you follow your intuitive self, you're always going to get, the universe rewards the people that take risks. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and just got to go for it and, and find, your, find the things that keep you grounded. I know for me, one of the questions that um, I know you had talked about earlier was, like, how do you stay in that zone? I have to, I have to practice meditation. Mm-hmm. I have to eat well. If I go home and throw back a bottle of wine a night, I cannot handle the stuff that comes at me. You know, when I'm mm-hmm. doing my juicing and I'm doing all my, my healthy stuff, yeah almost handle anything. So it's like, what do you need to mm-hmm. be that grounded, beautiful, you know, smart person that you're meant to right. be and, yeah. and take, take it seriously because right. you get to a certain point and we can't, we're not all 25 again. Right. We can't do the things that we did. Yeah. So what is a non-negotiable daily habit that you can live without? Celery juice. 
That's the secret. <laughs> from there, it gets worse, but it's way too much. Um, yeah, I'm like, I'm really into my juicing in the morning. It makes me, you know, I have to get up earlier. I have to get it all ready. I have to prepare for it. And then meditation. And, and I, right now I'm on the central coast. So it's, it's really nice. I, I don't book anything on Monday and Fridays typically. So I have time for things like this. Mm -hmm. And I don't have anything before 10 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. So yeah. I make sure that I have time for me in the morning. Mm. Because if I get it in the rut of, I'm just going to get up early and be at my desk by six. It's seven o'clock at night. I'm still in my pajamas. I haven't exercised. I haven't eaten anything. I haven't had any water. And I'm a mess. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to get really much more mindful about... Putting yourself first. Yeah, putting myself first for sure. So one final question. What is the quirkiest thing about you that you haven't shared? I don't know. What do you think it is? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be the one to reveal it. <laughs> or a quirky habit or something that makes you uniquely you. <laughs> oh, God. What is it, Molly? I don't know. Um, a quirky habit. I... I'm sloppy. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm so, I'm, I'm pretty flexible. So I don't know. What do you think it is? Come on. You've been around me now. I think your sense of humor, you know, like the way you connect with people and it's, it's the side of you that perhaps doesn't show up in all of the, um, you know, the business conversations and the inspiring mm -hmm. motivational speeches, but you, you know, um, in a, personal environment you are one of the funniest people i know and uh your ability to not take yourself seriously is just endearing is this where we sell my next book take my advice i'm not using it yeah. <laughs> exactly all right so let's wrap up with just your final words of wisdom to our audience and and thank you again for being so gracious to be on the show and especially the day after your book launches so um my final words of wisdom. Um, I think we were all put on this planet with a purpose. And I think it's really time for all of us to give ourselves permission to figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. And regardless of who cares, regardless of what people will think, regardless of what somebody will talk about later, it's time for us to really show up, speak up and stand up and, and be seen. And it's, and it, there's no, it, it's like a deal breaker to be invisible at this point. The world needs women. Mm -hmm. Who was it? The Dalai Lama. I got a quote yesterday. The Dalai Lama said, "It's the Western women that will change the world." That Dalai Lama, I think it was. Yeah. Anyway, so it's if it's meant to be, it's up to us to get it done. You know, it's it used to be if it's meant to be, it's up to me. But it's really a collective, and we need to band together and and do that together. And we can. And together, we're always better. So find Thank your tribe. For that. <laughs> find your tribe. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Patty. This was so wonderful. And congratulations again on the huge, huge launch of Permission Granted. I'm excited for all our readers to get their hands on the book and to see all the inspiration and the stories and the strategies and all of the wisdom packed in there. So thanks again. And uh, I can't wait to see the next part of your story. Well, <laughs> we'll see. I think it's going to come pretty quick. <laughs> Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. There are thousands of podcasts out there and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode. And be sure to take the quiz on the website.
Your score will tell you where you are, what helps you gain momentum, and what holds you back. You'll also get a free guide with cutting-edge career strategies. We'd also love to hear from you. Share your comments and topic suggestions on imbeyondbarriers.com, and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast, or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode.